The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. 653. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America is the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. Uh, the hardest thing of the show is knowing where to start. Uh, I never know, never know where to start. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to, to what... What you should do first or second hour or third hour, I don't know. Uh, but I thought this was a good place. And it kind of ties into Trump's commencement address at Liberty University, which I'm just now reading a couple excerpts from. And it actually ties in pretty good to that. So we'll bring it all together. But I want to start with a school in Minnesota, college in, in Minnesota. And a student of color. Oh, I, hate, I hate that term. But apparently that's the new term we're supposed to use. A student of color had a note on her car. And the note said, I am so glad that you are leaving soon. One less N-word that the school has to deal with. You have spoken up too much. You will change nothing. Shut up or I will shut you up. Wow, she was, uh, she found that on her note, on her car. That note on, on her car windshield. She was interviewed by the, the local. Oh, so she went home. She took a picture of it, put it on Facebook. Uh, interviewed by the local TV station. She said she's broken down a few times. She's so overwhelmed by that racist attack. She, she's felt unsafe on campus. And then students gathered in the main student center and they protested, held some rallies. The classes had to be canceled. All right, all the students went on this big campus-wide crusade against racism. And it turns out she wrote it herself. It was a hoax. That girl, she wrote, she wrote the letter herself, put it on her own windshield. And that's, that's it. But now, here's the, the reason I bring it up. is because the organizers of all the protesters, like the leaders of all the protesters, well, they say it's okay, it's a hoax. It's okay, no, no big deal that it's all made up because it got the conversation started. <laughs> got the conversation started. That's, that's all that matters, even if we have to lie in order to get it started. But then that lead to the question of, well, is it a conversation that even needs to be had? If you had to lie to start it, is it even really a real thing? I want to get back to that. But the other day, Washington Post wrote an editorial calling for universities to severely punish any racist signs, symbols, 
or speech on campus. Now, if the call from the Washington Post was to punish people who put racist symbols or, or uh, signs on campus, okay, like uh, hanging nooses. By the way, that never happens. <laughs> Every hanging noose that on a college campus is a hoax. Every time you hear a story about a noose hanging from a tree on a college campus, it is either put up there by a black studies professor or my favorite case was the University of Delaware, I think, when it was a string hanging from a tree that the night before was holding a lantern and the lantern fell out and the string remained and someone thought it was a noose. So it started this whole protest, just like the school in Minnesota started this whole big protest about racism on campus. And then someone said, oh, no, the night before there was like some like Chinese New Year celebration or something. And there were a bunch of lanterns from the tree. And that was just a string. For, like, it didn't even look like a noose, but it's like, oh, a string from a tree. It must be a noose. Racism. So those are racist signs and symbols. But the problem is the racist speech. What is racist speech? What is it? And who decides? Now, I th- we, we can kind of tell, like, we can all agree on some, right? Like if I said, oh, you know, all black people need to be, whatever, right? Like that's, that's a problem. Like all black people need to be rounded up and thrown. Like, okay, all right. But what about an argument that I make frequently on, on the show? And that is there is no such thing as different races. You've heard me make this argument before. There's scientifically, biologically, there's no such thing as different races. There's only one race and all the science science that has led us culturally to believe that there are different races is totally bogus so if i say today that there's no such thing as different races is that is that racist absolutely it would be it would be deemed racist by the left on college campuses today i guarantee you that me saying there's no such thing as different races i can biologically scientifically prove there's no such thing as different races and that would be deemed racist. I'll prove that. So I'll give you an example. So there's a magazine in Canada. This all happened in the last couple of days. They are apologizing. This magazine's apologizing for an editorial that they printed. The editor of the magazine has resigned because they published an article from someone who said that there should be more cultural appropriation. Are you familiar with this term? Cultural appropriation. It's a new progressive buzzword. It's about a year old. It's a concept that the left created to further divide us or or to prevent us from uniting. It says that people of different races, right? There's the different, different races. Well, there are no different races. There's only one, but anyway, people of different races shouldn't do things that other races and cultures do, right? So white people can't uh, listen to rap music or white people can't have dreadlocks or white people can't, eat tacos or whatever, right? So the goal is to keep us further divided and prevent any melting in the melting pot from occurring, right? Oh, you white people, you can't do that. It's always white people can't do that. But white people, you can't, you can't wear a sombrero on Cinco de Mayo or whatever. You can't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. That's cultural appropriation. How dare you? That's racist. So this guy, he writes an article with an argument and everything that says, no, 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 there needs to be more appropriation he says in my opinion anyone anywhere should be encouraged to imagine other people's other cultures and other identities 
He said, I'd go so far as to say there should even be an award for doing so. The appropriation prize for the best book by an author who writes about people who aren't even remotely like him or her. So he's taking it. So the culture is saying, oh, no, cultural appropriation is a horrible thing. And this guy's saying, whoa, no, no, it's great. (laughs) We should encourage more of it and provides an argument and everything. People said they felt betrayed that the article was even printed. Not, not that the guy wrote it and, and, and he's wrong and here's why I disagree. Nope. They felt betrayed that it was even printed. And the magazine responded, and this is the key. This goes back to, to what I was just saying. The, the magazine responded, we offer this magazine itself as a space to examine the pain this article has caused. The pain. The article caused Pain. And this is one of the great, uh, not dichotomies, this is one of the great conundrums, if you will, uh, the progressive movement today, where words, they say that conservative words are the same as violence, right? Like this article caused pain. So they say that our words are just like violence, but then when they commit violence, like protests up at Berkeley, that's freedom of speech. See that? So like our words are violence, but their violence, just words. So anyway, the point is this guy talking about cultural appropriation, that was deemed racist. No doubt it would also be deemed racist on a college campus. And then my argument that there's no such thing as racist, which is even though scientifically and biologically proven, uh, that would be deemed as racist. That would be deemed racist as well. So when the Washington Post writes an article saying, oh, we got to stop all racist speech. Well, who decides what is racist? Because the people who are making the decisions now are way off base. And the Washington Post article failed to mention the people who create these racial hoaxes and whether or not they should be punished severely as well. I wonder if this girl in Minnesota who made this whole thing up will be punished at all. Probably not, because again, the students, and I'm sure professors are saying, well, I mean, okay, fine, she made it up, but at least it's starting an important conversation. Did it? Does it? Did she? Did she start an important conversation or does it all just feed into people's delusions and fears and hysteria? Did it start an important conversation or did it start a conversation that has nothing that does nothing other than to serve your own self-righteous egos and give you a chance to give blowhardy speeches that make you feel important and really just an excuse to miss class not real what what the conversation you're having is not based off anything real so it's not actually productive how can it be productive it's not based on anything real it's based on a hoax it is based on a lie so how can what you're talking about be based in truth or if it's based on a lie how can you then ultimately get to truth you can't but they have no intention of doing that either so one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want to come back. We'll bring it back around to, to Trump and just politics in general going on in America today. After that intro. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network.
Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Mike Slater. Mind some speech. And he said, uh, nothing is easier or more pathetic than being a critic. And he went on this riff about how if you want to go achieve something, you're always going to have a bunch of losers on the sidelines who are criticizing you and telling you why it can't be done and how it can't be done and how you're never the person who's going to be able to do it. And then he said, nothing is easier or more pathetic than being a critic. There, there's something interesting about... Uh, about the person, uh, Donald Trump. Do you remember, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, we shared the story of a researcher, an American researcher who spent two years in a tribe in Papua New Guinea, like straight up tribe. Finally, there were like 400 people in the tribe. And there was one guy in the tribe that was unlike anyone else. The culture of this tribe was to be very cautious, right? They encouraged everyone to garden, as opposed to hunt. Hunting, uh, too dangerous, too risky. Too insecure. And, and every story they had in their culture was a tortoise and the hare type story where the gardener always came out ahead. Yes, hunting is flashier, uh, but, but you, you want to be the gardener. This guy only hunted. He didn't even have a garden. And he was loud and brash and the center of attention wherever he went or tried to be. And the researcher, the American researcher, got super annoyed at this guy. Didn't like him. Like, who's this annoying guy? But then, and assumed that everyone else felt the same way, but then something happened where a neighboring tribe was going to come in and, and they were worried that they would kill this guy first. And the researcher's like, well, wait a second. This guy's the worst. He's super annoying. Why, why do you care if, if he dies? Why do you care if this tribe comes in and kills him if any, over anyone? And then he's like, well, wait a second. So he started asking people in the tribe who they like the most in the tribe. Who's their favorite person? And they all said the crazy guy. They're like, whoa, hold on. What's, what's happening? So he went to figure out why. And his conclusion was that their culture, and I would argue most every culture, has a balance uh, between what they call in this tribe willfulness, willfulness, boldness, and lawfulness. And you got to try to find the right balance between those things, right? So it's kind of like hunting, which is willfulness. I'm going to go out. I'm going to hunt versus gardening, which would be lawfulness. I'm going to do the safe thing and you know, be cautious. This guy was a pure form of willfulness. And no one wanted to live their life like that personally, but they admired this guy for doing it, right? They admired him for living in the pure, full form of, of, of uh, willfulness. And they liked to be able to watch him live his life that way, even though they didn't want to live their, way, their life that way. And I think there's bits of that in, in every culture. And there's people like that. And think of like rock stars, right? Like people admire rock stars, but do you really want to live that life? Like, no, like no one really wants to, but, but you're, you admire it, right? Or like a James Dean outlaw kind of personality. Like you don't really want to be that guy, but you admire it. 
I think of action heroes. We've talked about this before. Someone like a Jack Reacher. And like, do you want to hang out with Jack Reacher? Seems kind of kind of like a like a downer guy. But but you watch a movie about him, you're like, oh, that guy's awesome. Because they're living their life in this pure form, this pure willful form. And this is true, at least in this tribe in Papua New Guinea, and I would say all over the world. Anyway, that being said, Trump is that form too, right? No one really wants to live that life or no one wants to even be like him necessarily all, in every aspect. But we look at it and we look at him as like, oh, like you're, you don't care. Like you're going all in. You're going to build giant skyscrapers and you're going to put your name on the front of them. Every single one of them. Like no, like no one does that. But he does because he's like, I don't care. So, so let me relate this back to politics now. I read this analysis from Mark Bowerlein. He said, in the last 50 years of culture wars in America, there has been no stronger weapon than guilt. It is the left's great hammer of progress. It figured powerfully in the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, women's liberation, and same-sex marriage. Guilt runs through the teaching of U.S. history from fifth grade through college. If we add up the successes that guilt has brought to progressive causes and causes and identity politics, we realize just how important guilt is to the left's agenda. Which brings us back to Donald Trump. Why do people hate him so much? And it's because, this author says, he won't accept this appointed condition. He won't accept this. He has no white guilt. He doesn't have any male guilt. He doesn't have any American guilt. He doesn't have any Christian guilt. He's got no guilt. He says, the author says he talks about the United States with uncritical approval. America first. And that's a thought crime in the eyes of liberals. It ignores slavery, Jim Crow, the Indian Wars, Manzanar. It's uh, uh, Japanese internment. Donald Trump would never refer to America as beset by the original sin of racism, as Barack Obama did frequently. And that makes him worse than a conservative. President Trump is a bigot. He enjoys the company of attractive women, makes no apologies for it. A man of proper male guilt would have bowed out after the bus tapes were released during the campaign. But there he was in the second presidential debate talking about jail time for Hillary. And he wouldn't say black lives matter either, a slogan that implies whites don't care about black lives, but instead he said all lives matter. Last paragraph. This is what happens when a political leader doesn't share the guilt. And progressives know it. For decades, they have pushed a campaign of guilt in classrooms, museums, movies, books, and newspapers precisely to forestall these moves. And this is the key sentence here. If you can persuade an opponent that he's wrong about a political issue, then you can win the day's debate. But if you can make him feel guilty about having his opinion, you've got him on the defensive forever. That's the key right there. You wonder why Republicans are so weak kneed and always on the defensive all the time. And it's because our society says that Republicans and conservatives need to feel guilty about their opinion. Not just that they're wrong, but you need to feel shame. You need to feel guilt for even having it. And when you come at from that posture of, of, oh, I should feel guilty about this. And then you try to make your argument. That's why they make pathetic arguments, And that's why they're always on the defensive. Trump never is. Ever. 
Have you ever heard him on the defense? Even when he in, like, should be on the defense. Right? And now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying he's always right. And I'm not saying he always does the right thing. I'm just saying he's not riddled with guilt constantly. And because he's not, the left can't get him on the defensive. They, they, they can't. So even the Comey thing from the last couple of days, did you see the Lester Holt interview? I only saw a couple of clips, but in one of the clips, Lester Holt's like, so did you take the advice of, of um, Jeff Sessions? And Trump's like, no, I fired him. Oh, but you said that you took the advice. He's like, yeah, you know, I, they agreed, but I, I was going to fire him. Were you going to fire him? Yeah, I was going to fire him anyway. I fired him. I'm the one who fired him. Any other president, Republican president would have been like, oh, you know, I took the advice of the then and I did this because I didn't want to trying to cover the Trump's like, I did it. I did. It. I was going to do it. Uh, I don't care what anyone said. I, he's, he's a show boater and I, I don't want him anymore. He's gone. I fired him. <laughs> right. Oh, well, don't you feel like that? Nah, he was bad. I, he's gone. We'll find someone better. No guilt. And the left doesn't know how to handle that. Interesting. And here he is at Liberty University saying, hey, nothing's easier or more pathetic than being a critic. Don't let them get in your way. Don't feel guilty, especially when you're doing the right thing. one 888 Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Mike Slater. So being here, I want to share a poll here. Uh, I so I saw this uh, commercial in the Onion the other day. It's very funny. I will play it here uh, in a minute. Uh, and I thought this this poll actually ties in pretty good to it. I uh, I think this ties into the whole feeling guilty about things and and how our culture today tells you to feel guilty for, for any, any conservative opinion uh, that, that you have. You're not just wrong. And that's, that'd be one thing. And of course we, we're all wrong about different things. We're not right about everything, but if you, uh, if you're wrong, that's okay. Right. If the left wants you to think you're wrong about something. Okay. But what they really want you to do is even more than that. They want you to feel guilty for thinking this thing, feel guilty for having this opinion. And I think that's the reason why so many people answered as they did in this poll here too. So this is a poll they asked practicing Christians in America. So their definition of a practicing Christian is someone who goes to church at least once a month and who says that their faith is very important in their life. That's, that's the definition of practicing Christian. I don't know however accurate that is. Whatever. But among practicing questions, Christians they asked three questions I want to talk about here. The first one is no one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is to life. So why don't you go to answer that question. No one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is in life. So among practicing Christians, 19% agree with that. Here's another one. What is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. 
23% of practicing Christians agreed with that. And then finally, if your beliefs offend or hurt someone's feelings, then it is wrong. Meaning your belief is wrong. If so, if you, so if what you believe offends or hurts someone's feelings, then what you believe is wrong. 15% of practicing Christians said that's true. So these three questions are noteworthy because these are all the postmodern philosophies of the day. And, and the takeaway here is how many Christians believe in practicing Christian Christians believe in this progressive postmodern philosophy that there is no such thing as objective truth. That truth is unknowable that what is right and wrong is subjective. It's whatever you believe. It's whatever you decide to each his own, et cetera. As opposed to the Bible. Now, listen, if you're not a Christian and you don't believe in the standard of the Bible, like, okay, but this is among practicing Christians. So if you say you're a Christian, that's the point. I want to be clear with that. If you're like, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in the Bible. Okay, totally fine. Like not, this is not applying here. This is among practicing Christians. And they're like, yeah, you know, right and wrong. Who am I to say? (laughs) Like, huh? It's, that's what that's the point here. that is the bible it's what god says not what society says and you got about 20 percent of practicing christians subscribing to this postmodern philosophy i think that's a lot 20 percent. but i don't know i know there's a lot of loosey-goosey churches out there you know churches out there and maybe maybe that ends up being about 20 percent. here's why i really wanted to bring this up though i'm really glad that the poll did one thing in particular they broke down the results based on city, city practicing Christians, suburban practicing Christians, and rural practicing Christians. I've never seen a poll that breaks it down like that. I'm so glad they did because, you know, this has been a theme that we've talked about a lot since November. All right. This is, this is the great divide in our country and not just our country, but in every country, in every group of people for all time. All around the world, the great divide is city versus country. This is not unique to America. There's an Aesop fable from 500 BC written about the city mouse and the country mouse and the division between city living and country living. Right. So this has been true for all time. So it's been something we've been exploring a lot on the show here recently. And I'm so glad this poll broke it down that way. So they ask the same question to city Christians and rural Christians. So let's just pick one of them. If you, if, if your belief offends or hurts someone's feelings, then your belief is wrong. 30% of city Christians believe that only 5% of rural Christians. That's noteworthy. There's something there. That's, that's really interesting. How can, how, you take a Christian and you have him in the city and 30% of the Christians are like, oh, you know, oh, my, my opinion hurts someone. Like, ooh, I don't want to, I don't hurt them. But if only 5% of rural Christians are like, I don't care. Like, what's right is right. I don't care. It hurts your feelings. It's still right. That's a big divide. So look at the influence that progressivism has on people and, and even Christians who are living in cities. Hmm. (laughs) Let's analyze some of the questions a little more now. Got a couple minutes. 
that that one in particular. If your belief offends or hurts someone's feelings, it is wrong. Like what? If so, I give you an example of this because I read a poll about this one the other day too. Uh, if I believe that it's wrong to, if I, if I think it's wrong for you to cheat on your wife, and that hurts your feelings or that offends you. That doesn't mean I'm wrong just because you just because it hurt your feeling. Like, what is that? If two plus two equals four and that hurts your feelings because you hate the number four, like that doesn't mean it's your feelings have nothing to do with the truth. Nothing at all. Nothing. Your feelings are irrelevant to the truth. So that, that question is, I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone could possibly think that. If you believe something and that that belief hurts someone's feelings, then you are wrong. Like, well, like, look at the bottom. Like, who? How could you possibly say? Like, I can I can see how someone can say, you know, we can't for certain know the meaning of life. Like, I can see how someone can believe that, you know, what's right and wrong is like, you know, it's subjective to each his own. I don't agree with those, but I get it. I don't even understand. My feelings are hurt. Therefore, what you say is wrong. Like that makes no sense at all. And that this is, I mean, this is what goes on in college campuses all the time. That's why I say this postmodern philosophy. This is what's on college campuses. And, you know, on college campuses, they hate Shakespeare, right? They're like, if you, you can't read Shakespeare on college anymore. So if I say, you know, Shakespeare wrote Hamlet. Oh, Shakespeare was a cisgendered white male. And that triggers me and hurts my feelings. Okay. But he still wrote Hamlet and it's good. You should read it. Oh, my feelings. My feelings. It's like, Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Truth is truth. Here's the poll I saw the other day. 26% of Americans don't think, this is just Americans, not just Christians, 26% of all Americans don't think that a one night stand counts as cheating on your spouse. What? 20, 26% of Americans don't think that, that a one night stand, if you, so if you're married, and you go have sex with just a random stranger, but only one time, that's not cheating. <laughs> what are you talking about? 26% of Americans think that. Man, the world is messed up. Truth is so distorted and everything's so subjective. And people are so deceived that they think that having sex with another person, oh, but just once, isn't cheating on your, on your spouse. Holy cow. So I, I just share all this. You see this, this, this progressive culture um, and how it seeps its way into uh, everyday life, particularly in our cities. Interesting. one 888 Oh, one last thing before about the uh, city country divide. Uh, there was a congressman from the Bay Area, San Francisco, and she was in a closed hearing, closed committee hearing, energy, hear- energy committee or something. And this has been backed up by a few other people who were there. And she said that in the middle of the the hearing, she called people in flyover country uh, living in Podunk, USA. Podunk, USA. So just super disparaging, right? So you get people in the city who look at the rest of the country as just a bunch of backwards rubes. Um, and, and that makes that divide even uh, even greater. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Slider Crusaders, I want to play this piece here from The Onion. Uh, it's entitled, Trump Voter Feels Betrayed by President Trump After Reading 800 Pages of Queer Feminist Theory. Enjoy. I voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Trump because I thought he'd create a better America for everyone. But after reading 800 or so pages on queer feminist theory, I realize now just how much I've been duped. You gotta understand, I come from a small steel town in Pennsylvania. If I had known the foundational texts on intersectional theory, I would have never chanted, lock her up, lock her up. Lock her up, lock her up. We were told Hillary Clinton was the enemy. But it's clear now that the true enemy is a patriarchal, capitalistic society that maintains its ascendance by making powerful and ambitious women appear threatening, only to protect my status in a system purposefully designed to benefit cisette white men like myself. Jesus. When Donald Trump said he would make America great again, it's obvious to me now that he was only trying to play off my own complicity and comfort in an unequal social structure that disproportionately strips women and minorities, particularly trans and gender queer people of color, of their autonomy and seeks to subjugate them to an inverterate and intentionally antagonistic antocratic order. I get that now after I attended a gender-fluid non-binary poetry slam at Swarthmore. A couple of other guys from work attended it, too. And now it's all we talk about on the line. I like Trump because I thought he tells it like it is. But you know who really tells it like it is? Judith Butler. Gender is not to culture as sex is to nature. Gender is also the discursive cultural means by which sexed nature or a natural sex is produced and established as pre-decursive prior to culture, a politically neutral surface on which culture acts. If I had just known that back in November, I would have never voted for Trump. God, how could I have been so stupid? <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, but so that, that it's like there's truth to that. That's, the, that's the, obviously there's no one on the line in, uh, you know, uh, Western Pennsylvania uh, reading Judith Butler and queer feminist theory, but but you see how progressive ideology, philosophy can can uh, can seep into culture. Obviously, uh, has been. Look how quickly things have changed. I mean, there's people listening now. Did you, uh, you know, people older than thirty five? Did you ever think that gay marriage would be legal? I mean, did you, did you ever think? But look how quickly things change like that. And then you again the city country divide. We don't need to make that point anymore. I think you get that. Um, two quick last Trump stories just to show how far off we are from, from reality. Uh, there's, did you see the, uh, lacrosse team at, uh, it was a Delphi university, wherever that is. You got a lacrosse team. Generally laxers are more conservative, right? So you got this lacrosse team and before they run onto the field, they're lined up on, you know, behind this wall and they got the guy in the front has an American flag and they play this mixtape. This like song that someone made. And the beginning of it is 30 seconds of Trump speeches. So you got Trump, you know, like, we're going to make America safe again. We're going to make America great again. And like this whole like part of, I think it was from the Republican convention. And then the beat ramps up and the beat hits and then they all run out. And, and it's the beginning of the, the game. Like you watch this video and you're watching, it, you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to be in so much trouble. Like there's no way that's going to be allowed. The whole team is going to be suspended for the year. 
they're definitely definitely not going to be allowed to do that the next game, and they're all going to have to issue apologies. I mean, and I read this on a blog, and it said actually shocking. I know that playing the audio from a speech by the president of the United States shouldn't make you instantly assume that a team is going to get in trouble for it, but anything goes with Trump, the ultimate trigger. Susie, if you've ever seen this video, you're like, whoa, that's, and, but it's, but then you think you're like, well, hold on. It's just, it's the president saying we're going to make America safe again. We're going to make America great again. I love you. Good night. I mean, that's, that's like, what's wrong with that? Then I think this was in Charlotte. I think uh, a high school yearbook was recalled. Everyone had to hand their yearbook back in because someone's senior quote was build the wall dash Donald Trump. And the head of the school said something like, you know, we got to recall all the yearbooks because racist slogans will not be permitted in the book or something like that. It's like, holy cow, it's the president of the United States. And you you look at this, you're like, whoa, is, have all these people read 800 pages of queer fem- feminist theory except me? Like, is, every, is, is everyone gone mad? How weird. Uh, 1-888-900-3393. All right, I want to come back. Speaking of the wall, it was a really uh, tragic case here in San Diego last weekend of a uh, drunk driver Blew through a stop sign, hit a car uh, with a family in it coming back from Disneyland. They were a block away from their house. The guy who was drunk, illegal immigrant, I'll tell you next how many times this guy has been deported. Not only deported, but arrested. Unbelievable that this is that this happens. We'll do that next. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.